Let's just cut to the chase. Spider-Man Far From Home is Harry Osborn eating pie in Spider-Man 3. How's the pie? So good. Hey fam, welcome to a new episode of Stay Watching Mondays at the Movies. As always, I'm your host, Larry. This week, I had a pretty good time watching movies and saw some that, while one may have been a little bit disappointing for me, was still an incredible experience to watch. One is one of my favorite superhero movies of all time now. Uh, and another was an interesting romp into time travel in the era of Black Lives Matter. Uh, so this week I will be talking about the newest film from Ari Aster, uh, Midsummer, the latest in the MCU, Spider-Man Far From Home, and a Spike Lee-produced Netflix original film, See You Yesterday. So strap in, and I'll be right back. So the first movie that I'm going to talk about this week is Midsummer, and uh, it is the sophomore attempt uh, from filmmaker Ari Aster, who you may know uh, from his horror film Hereditary, uh, which came out, I guess that was a, a year ago now or a year or two ago. Um, which really kind of felt like a breath of fresh air in the genre. It kind of did a few different things and, you know, people really enjoyed it for a lot of the performances, the art direction of the film, and just kind of the overall creepy slow burn nature of it. And so in his sophomore effort, there are certain things that he kind of uh, brings back from his time with Hereditary, uh, but he also takes a bit of a slightly different approach with it. Um, and so basically the premise of this film is there is a young woman who is in a we'll, we'll just call it turbulent relationship uh which doesn't seem to be going all that well unbeknownst to her her boyfriend is considering breaking up with her uh but a recent tragic event uh prevents him from doing so uh and what ends up happening is this boyfriend who is about to take a trip with some friends uh to another country uh, for vacation slash thesis research uh, ends up inviting his girlfriend along and uh, basically the the kind of meat of the story happens while they are on this trip uh, and so it's a very kind of interesting cult movie and I'm going to start here by saying I didn't 
necessarily like this film. Uh, for those of you who follow what I've been talking about on the podcast, as well as on social media, I had been fairly excited for this film. It was one of the things that I was looking to a lot this summer, uh, mostly because of how much I enjoyed Hereditary. And I really was interested in seeing Ari Aster's, you know, follow up to that film. And, you know, it's it's tough because I try to go into films that uh, are, are following the type of success that Ari had with Hereditary with, you know, just trying to put the first film that that director or writer had done out of my mind. And, you know, I like to think that I did a pretty good job of that going into um, Midsummer. For me... You know, what I would say is some of the things that I liked are, you know, the the art direction. Um, one of the things that I have to say about this film that I really enjoy is that they spell out literally everything that is going to happen in this film through art that you are, you know, in a sense, force fed uh, throughout the film. Like they literally show you every single thing that is going to happen in the film. And I and I really love when films use mechanisms like that, you know, because while it does take away some of that surprise of what's coming next, they usually do it in a way that it's easy to kind of miss something and it, and it makes you kind of want to go back and either rewatch the film or buy it eventually or rent it so that you can kind of pause on that art and, and see how it's depicting exactly what it's showing you. And so I thought that was one of the incredibly strong pieces of it. Um, I also just love the cinematography. I think this is an amazingly films movie uh, the some of the just shots are are brilliant and beautiful and the use of color is amazing the way some shots feel so bright and and almost washed out from the sun it, it really gives you a sense of you know this this almost ethereal fairy tale nature of the story that you're watching because you know, realistically speaking, you know, even though it's very much a, a cult movie, you know, it's also a dark, twisted fairy tale. And, you know, I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, but for me, you know, kind of the two places, uh, the other thing I'll say is like the, the effects work, um, some of the gore is really well done, uh, as well as the sound direction. I think the sound in this film is amazing and creepy, yet calming. And, you know, going back to the effects real quick, there's this really subtle motion and movement to things that shouldn't be moving or you feel like shouldn't be moving. That just is really unsettling. And I, and I feel like one of the things that it does really well is being unsettling without necessarily being scary, you know? So I think, um, you know, what I would say is Hereditary was very much the same way where, you know, more than being scary, the film is is tense, you know? It, it, it's, it's playing with your emotions. It's getting you to feel a certain way. It's getting you to squirm and feel unease without feeling necessarily terrified in that way and i and i know for some people unease can be terrifying or or can be scary uh but for me like i kind of separate those two feelings and i i think that is kind of masterfully accomplished here in this film 
where the two things that I kind of feel fall short for me are the performances uh, for some of our principal characters and the actual story being told. So just like on the story end, um, I know people are going to have disagreements with this because, you know, again, it, it's a very artfully done film. So a lot of the story being told is, you know, I guess the easiest way to explain it is it's it's being told through metaphor. You know, it's a fairy tale. So it's like the the subtext is is text in a lot of this in a lot of this film. And so I feel like that is, you know, not saying that everything needs to be explained outright. Like I'm never a person who would agree with that or even co-sign that or, or say that that's something that a film requires. Um, but watching it, I couldn't help but feel like they felt like this film was, you know, almost more deep than it actually was. Um, and I ultimately found the story not being that interesting. And I felt like tonally it kind of got muddled a bit. You know, what they were attempting to say didn't quite come through as well as it could have. Uh, that said, and, and I, I will touch on some things later that, that kind of might clear it up uh, or, um, you know, kind of uh, alter the way some people may feel about this film. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I just kind of, it, it's hard to explain, you know, when you're, when you're kind of having this reaction to something that you were really excited for and you still enjoyed many parts of, but it's like this one piece just wasn't quite clicking for you. Uh, because the other, the other thing for me is it's like, all right, this is kind of, there's kind of this serious story of recovery that's being told, uh, in, in one aspect of the story yet so much of the film reads like comedy. Um, and it's kind of challenging just because some of the characters reactions or actions it they don't they don't quite feel real and they're they're augmented in this way that makes them very comical and the thing that that I kind of struggled with throughout the film was I wasn't sure if I should be laughing as much as I was you know because there are parts of this film that feel like downright comedy like Will Poulter, um, the eyebrows kid. Um, if you look up, if you look him up, you'll know exactly what I mean by the eyebrows kid. Or if you know who he is, you'll be like, okay, yeah, I got you. He essentially is a completely comic relief character. Um, Jack Rayner, who, or Reiner, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I never know how to pronounce people's names. I'm sorry. Um, who plays the uh, boyfriend of uh, Florence Pugh's character is, you know, he's another character whose just reactions are so dumb and dumbfounding that he, he almost can't be taken seriously. Like I watched him in this film and it was just like, is this guy for real? Like, and then, you know, there's, there's that part where you're kind of like, I, I know this guy, I, I've experienced this person before. Um, and, you know, so it's like, 
all of that was very funny, but that's playing against, you know, Florence Pugh, who I think for me is, is probably the one of the best performances in the film, other than the, the cult members, because they're delightfully culty and creepy and, you know, exactly what I fear of being surrounded by that many blonde white people. Um, but she gives this really great, exhausted, frustrated, depressed, you know, teetering on a knife's edge performance. And I, I think she really is a revelation in this film and and is one of the things that kind of kind of keeps you going. Uh, because it's like you're in a sense, you're rooting for her in this way. And you just want her to be happy and, and kind of have what she deserves. And so that kind of forms, you know, what what drives you through this film, um, you know. But again, I think for different audiences, you know, it's going to be a big debate as to whether you felt that the ending of her journey or the journey itself was was satisfying or interesting. Now, one of the things that I that I alluded to before that I wanted to get into are a couple of things that the writer director Aroster said, and one of the things was that he and uh, Jack Reiner kind of talked about this film as being a dark comedy, and having having heard that, having read that after seeing the film, for me it puts it in a little bit better context because while I was watching it. You know, I was unsure if I should be having the reaction that I was. Uh, but hearing them say that, it, it felt kind of more justified. And I think, you know, even though I would say I still don't fully think the film achieved what I think is is the best way to tell that story, or or, or not even I don't even want to say that because I don't want to pretend like I know a better way to tell that story. Um, Although I don't feel like it, it satisfied me in the telling of this story, I did feel a little bit of a sense of relief knowing that I was not wrong in finding the many things that I found humorous in this film humorous. The other thing that Ariaster said, and you know, this is something that, that I was going to talk about earlier on in the review uh, when I was kind of talking about the premise, um, and talking about Hereditary, but one of the things that he said uh, about this film that I think is kind of important to think about, especially if you are walking out of the theater and you're like, well, I don't know what that was about, because I know <clears throat> for some people, you're going to listen to this review or you're going to listen to reviews after you've seen a movie just to see what other people think about them. Um, and, you know, this was something that I picked up on watching the film, which I thought was was very interesting. And he did something very similar in Hereditary. Uh, but this film is really, you know, in his words, he described it as a a horror film about codependency or a film about the horror of codependency. And I think that's something that does get shown throughout this film in a very interesting and in some cases viscerally painful way. And I think that's something that's a topic that he just masterfully tackles. And I, I'm really interested to see how that theme either continues to pop up in his work or how it augments or changes. Um, 
one of the things like even looking back at his short film uh his short film work um the name of which the main one is escaping me who's um uh i i can't remember it right now i should have written it down uh but it's it's basically he looks at family structures and how sometimes these ties that we have to one another and this kind of you know reliance on one another has a tendency or can be damaging but it can be uplifting depending on how it's used depending on how we kind of leverage uh that that codependent spirit that we may have and i don't know i just think there's something so interesting about that he's able to take these really kind of mundane aspects of our existence that we don't often think about and very very you know easily with a few flicks of switches make them something absolutely terrifying and you know something that will make your skin crawl so you know again even though i may say that you know i didn't like it that that comes with an asterisk because i think that there is a lot that is very beautifully done masterfully done about this film but a few tweaks to the tone a few changes to the performances that we got um and maybe maybe a little bit of a tweak to the way that the story was told could have been you know that that last little bit to kind of get this piece to be you know just you know chef's kiss amazing so yeah so i'm gonna leave you there with midsummer i i that this is gonna be a film that i'm, I'm really gonna be interested to hear what other people have to say about it uh but also because it's it's a horror film and i know it's a it's a bit of a you know not to not to make it seem like it's the the smart man's you know horror film um you know i know there's a lot that may turn people off from seeing it um you know especially reactions from some people i i you know like i said on social media like i don't ever want my reaction to a film to be something that turns someone off from seeing it what i really want it to be is something that gets someone to say well unless I'm saying that it's absolutely terrible and no one should see it. Um, you know, if I don't like something and I, I say I don't like it and I've spent time thinking about it, what I'm really saying is that I want to hear what your thoughts on it are. You know, I had this reaction to it, but I want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear what you think about it, because I think this is a film that I could probably endlessly talk about despite not fully liking it. Uh, and, and for me, that's the sign of an effective film. An effective film doesn't need to be something that I absolutely love. So yeah, if you happen to see this film, definitely get back to me. I want to hear what you think. So completely changing pace now. The next movie that I'm going to talk about is Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, which I will probably mess up and call it Homecoming at some point during this film. Um, uh, to some point during this podcast, uh, where to begin? So uh, Endgame spoilers fully on the table at this point. Like, I'm, I'm going to be real. If you haven't seen Endgame yet, considering the next movie in the MCU line is out, it's too late for you. Like, it's absolutely too late. Um, they held off as long as they could. Uh, but, you know, premise, starting point, let's go. Tony Stark is dead. 
let's just put it out there. I'm sorry if you have not seen Endgame yet. You have been spoiler warns. You know, you've had more than enough time. But Tony Stark is gone. Spider-Man is feeling it because, you know, really, you know, Tony Stark had kind of been like a, a fill-in surrogate father for Peter. So he's feeling real rough right now. He's feeling like the person who he looked up to throughout his life and, and his fledgling career as a superhero is now gone and he is not sure how to handle it or if he is enough. And so that leaves him pretty susceptible. Um, and so in an effort to kind of clear his head, he is ready to go on a class trip with some of his friends who also were blipped out of existence by Thanos during the events of Infinity War. So again, basically a little, little backtracking here uh, in case anybody was confused about this. Um, Thanos in Avengers Infinity War got the Infinity Stones, put the Infinity Gauntlet on, snapped his fingers. A bunch of people got wiped out of existence. Five years later, because of the events of Avengers Endgame, those people that were blipped out of existence are back now. Um, but anybody who was living on the planet while those people were away, aged five years, those people that were gone stayed the same age. And so Peter and a bunch of his classmates were blipped out of existence, but they are now in class with people who were younger than them, who are now kind of the same age. Um, and so that makes for some really interesting commentary. Um, it adds a kind of funny way to look at the events of Infinity War and Endgame without kind of being overburdened with the absolute seriousness of those events. Um, and it allows the emotional weight to really be on, you know, Peter searching for that new father figure. So uh, premise wise, enter Mysterio. Um, you know, and so I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Nick Fury, Maria Hiller there. Um, but, you know, really what I love about this film, uh, and I think I might have I, I didn't talk about it on the podcast because it was before I started this podcast. But one of the things that I really loved from Spider-Man Homecoming was that idea of getting Spider-Man back to what I what I kind of saw Spider-Man as. So so growing up, I, I've talked about this a lot before. My dad's favorite character was Spider-Man. It was this idea that he was this poor but super intelligent kid who, you know, wasn't the most popular, but was trying to help his family any way he could. He was trying to be a good student. He was trying to, you know, make things that could solve problems. He was using his intelligence. He was, you know, he was kind. He, as a superhero, was willing to give back to his neighborhood and, and protect those people that needed protecting. And so one of the great things that I found I loved about Spider-Man Homecoming was his relationship to his city, his relationship to the bodega owner, the way that he ran around the city and interacted with the people of New York. Those were all things that I really, really loved about Spider-Man Homecoming. And, you know, I think there's something great about taking that character who is so kind of intrinsically linked to his city and allowing him in a sense to have a vacation. So 
Spider-Man is taken out of New York and he's traveling around Europe, but he can't quite catch that break. So he's trying to make moves with MJ. He's trying to have fun with his friend Ned and all of this stuff, but super heroism follows him everywhere he goes. And so this character who is already struggling with, you know, this this burden of his own power, you know, the responsibility, the great responsibility of his great power, um, you know, is, is forced into this situation where, you know, he has to either step up or step out of the way. And what does stepping out of the way mean when you have this responsibility, when you have this power to to change things? And I think that's something that's that's you know really the core conceit of this film. Uh, one of the things that that I, I kind of absolutely kind of adore about both Homecoming and Far From Home, and and you know again like I have to watch Far From Home again. Maybe it's uttered at some point, but you know with great power comes great responsibility. The 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 amazing Uncle Ben quote is never expressly said as far as I know in either of these films, yet it is the backdrop of everything that we are watching. And, you know, I think for me, the best Spider-Man stories are some of the ones where he is uncertain, where he is, you know, in a sense, kind of torturing himself, where he is trying to walk away from the responsibilities that he has only to realize that by not wanting to put his family and friends in danger, he's actually putting them in more danger because he has the power to stop those things. And I, I don't know, like, I just think a combination of, you know, good script writing, good character acting from just about everybody, Tom Holland being an amazing, you know, the guy is, is, he's a great romantic, you know, lead. He's a great comedy actor. He's great at these really emotional scenes. And so like his interplay with, you know, his awkward romantic relationship with MJ and how those characters kind of collide in this awkward, unsure manner you know, it feels really we, you know, really real. You know, his his nerdy, you know, exchanges with his best friend Ned. Like, it feels like this genuine friendship. Uh, looking up to someone like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's Quentin Beck uh, to be that kind of fill-in for Tony Stark, to be that replacement surrogate father. Um, that relationship is so well cultivated and acted and you know for for tom it it clearly helps having an amazing actor like jake gyllenhaal to play off of because jake gyllenhaal has a lot of that charisma that that robert downey jr has but without you know without that kind of um acidity to it. So um, for those of you who who know how I feel about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like even though I think that Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark, he's he's great character. He's well acted. The thing that, that I always come back to is the fact that Tony Stark is a jerk. He is he is absolutely the worst. And even in death in this film, 
Uh, he kind of continues to prove that he is a jerk that has made some really terrible decisions and has done some really awful things. And, you know, I think that that what Jake Gyllenhaal does in this film is find a way to kind of take the best aspects of of Robert Downey Jr.'s kind of performance as Tony Stark, just pull out like kind of the best stuff and use that in a way to, um, you know, kind of ingratiate himself to uh, Peter Parker. And, and I think that's something that that's that relationship is really fun to watch in this film. Um, I also thought they used uh, Nick Fury uh, in a really interesting way in this film. I'm not going to get much more into it, but if you've seen the trailer, you know that Fury is a pretty significant part of this film, and I and I really kind of enjoy that. Uh, one of the things that I think is always fun is to see how Spider-Man is going to be interacting with the rest of the MCU going forward, especially without having Tony Stark as kind of a buffer to uh, ease him into that universe. And so to see Peter playing off of uh, Nick Fury um, in the way that he does in this film, I thought was very interesting. And so it made me kind of excited to see like what other pairings they're going to have for Spider-Man within this universe. So it's like, we've seen him with Iron Man. We've seen him with Nick Fury. Um, you know, we've, we've seen him do a couple of different things. So, you know, what is it going to look like with him and some of the more, you know, kind of terrestrial, uh, individuals in the MCU, but what are we going to get when he has a team up with some of the more cosmic people, which have to be coming? Um, there's so much that I wish I could talk about this film uh, on this podcast, but because I'm doing spoiler free reviews, um, I, I can't say a lot. Um, the one things the some of the things that I will say are that um, if you are a fan of Spider-Man comics, they do some great comic booky things and, and not just with uh, his costume, uh, but there's some stuff that really does not get shown in the trailers, especially in regards to Mysterio's powers um, and some of the things that they do. And, you know, some of what I really loved about this film were the things that felt like they were pulled right out of the comic books. Um, and so I think they did a really marvelous job with that. Um, this absolutely has one of my favorite Spider-Man action sequences of all time. Um, it was something that I, I don't know if I ever expected to see it on the big screen because it's the type of thing that I've seen in cartoons. It's the type of thing that I've seen in video games, but never truly expected to see them translate to the big screen. And I, I thought they did such a marvelous job with it. Um, you know, and, and beyond that, I think they did a really good job with the storytelling uh, behind uh, what the antagonist's goal was in this film and how it played out and, and why it was the way it was. Um, like I said before, Jake Gyllenhaal's performance was great. I thought Zendaya was great. I thought, um, uh, sorry, drawing a blank on his name, um, who plays Ned Leeds. I thought he was fantastic. Uh, John Favreau as Happy Hogan. He has always been one of my favorite aspects of the Iron Man films. And 
I really love him in his role in these Spider-Man films. And, you know, one of the things that I realized is I hope that John Favreau stays around to be um, a part of, of Spider-Man's journey uh, in these films, because I think there's a lot of great interplay there. And in a sense, watching him heal from the loss of Tony Stark through his interactions with Peter Parker um, was something that uh, makes me a little bit emotional uh, because, you know, again, like it's it's a dumb superhero movie. But, you know, when you when you have kind of vested interests in these characters because of, um, you know, what they've meant to your family and things like that, uh, which I've talked about on the the old version of the podcast at length. Um, some of that stuff does start to come through in a, in a really real way when you're watching these characters. And so uh, that was something that I that I that I really enjoyed in this film and and really like. So I think if you are a big Spider-Man fan, if you're a big comic fan, if you if you enjoyed Homecoming, I think you are going to enjoy this one even more. Um, you know, honestly, this is one of my favorite films in the MCU. Like for me, it's it's easily top five, if not top three. Um, I'm going to be going back to see it this week, so I, I will have more thoughts on it. I, I may do a spoiler cast episode, just me talking about it later in this week, just because I love it that much, uh, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, I have nothing but praise for Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, I absolutely think it's worth seeing, especially if you like Spider-Man. Um, you know, easily the second best Spider-Man movie there is, second only behind uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is incredibly hard to top. But let's be real. Let's be real and let's be fair. They serve completely different purposes. Spider-Man Far From Home is a part of the MCU and as such, it has obligations that it needs to fulfill there, whereas Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is allowed to be its own standalone thing and as such shines marvelously. Uh, and so, you know, again, it's, it's hard to compare the two. I think Spider-Verse is always going to have a little bit of that edge for me just because it's not beholden to any other Spider-Man properties right now or other Marvel properties right now. Um, but Far From Home is very, very good and, and right on its heels in all the right ways. So, so the last film that I'm going to talk about today, and uh, just because I, uh, looking at the time, this episode is starting to get a little bit longer. I'm going to try to keep this one short. Uh, and so uh, recently over the holiday break, my family and I watched a film that we had been trying to watch for a couple months now called See You Yesterday. Um, and basically it's a story about... Um, two high school students, uh, two rising seniors who crack the mystery of time travel. Uh, and it's really a, a story about them trying to, much like Spider-Man, figure out how to responsibly use this new power that they have. And, you know, they are in a sense forced into attempting to use time travel 
when a loved one is gunned down by police. And I know, you know, that that sounds very heavy and at times it is, but I think the film does a really good job of balancing some of the, the kind of science fiction fun, some of the humor with uh, with blackness and this very, you know, specific, um, you know, kind of Caribbean feel, uh, that permeates the characters and their families, uh, as well as being able to speak to this really real issue of, of violence, you know, both in terms of violent crime and, uh, violence by, officials or, or, or folks in official capacities. And so I think that it does a really good job of kind of telling that story and, and challenging you to think about, you know, that in a sense, if you had the power to change something, you know, terrible that has happened to you and, and your family, would you? And by doing so, what other things would you affect? You know, what other damage would be caused by you attempting to fix this problem that you are working to fix? And I just thought it was such a, a really interesting way to approach that story. Um, I thought there were some nice, good performances by the, the core cast. It's it's a fairly short movie with a, a fairly small cast, but I think they all did a good job. Um, you know, obviously it felt a little bit lower budget, uh, despite, you know, uh, it, it's produced by Spike Lee. And so, um, you know, while it is, it, it, it has some effort behind it, there's definitely some things, you know, in the in the effects department that, you know, might have left a little bit be desired. But the, I think the good thing that it has going for it is that it does feel small. It feels contained. Like it's about their experience in Brooklyn and their Brooklyn. You know, it doesn't try to be more than it needs to be. Um, it is almost this slice of life, but with time travel and I thought that was really interesting and beautiful and poignant. And, you know, not every film that we watch or enjoy or think about needs to be a sprawling epic or, you know, take us to other countries or, you know, force us to live with a cult or, you know, fight elementals and, you know, contend with you know, the specter of, of our, uh, you know, superhero predecessors. Um, sometimes it's just about contending with the family that we have, the family that we've lost and what we want to protect. And I, I think this film does a really good job of talking about all of those things, you know, you know, sure. Do I wish the story had been told in a little bit different manner? Yes. You know, was I frustrated by some of the decision making of the characters? Sure. Um, but I thought it was I thought it was a nice little film. And, you know, if you have like an hour and a half, I think it's a good way to spend your time because I think it tells an interesting story that's worth watching. And so I hope some of you will check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
So fam, that concludes another episode of Stay Watching Mondays at the Movies. I hope you enjoyed my spoiler-free reviews for Midsummer, Spider-Man Far From Home, and See You Yesterday. Um, one of the things that I continually love is hearing from you, hearing what your thoughts are on the films that I talked about. Um, if you're on social media, I'm at LarryTron on pretty much every social media platform. Drop me a line. Tell me what you think about these films that I talked about today. Um, do you agree? Do you disagree? Did you take something different away from these projects? Um, do you want to hear my spoilery, spoiler, spoilery thoughts on any of these films? If you do, let me know. Maybe I'll record some bonus special episodes. Um, yeah, this week, I'm not so sure what comes out. Uh, my sister and I were looking at it before, uh, as I was driving her to the airport yesterday and, uh, it didn't sound like a whole lot of good stuff. I think like Stuber and something else. So this is going to be one of those, uh, interesting weekends at the movies. So hopefully it's not as bad as I'm expecting it to be. Um, other than that, um, as I've been talking about the last couple of weeks, I am now a part of the Hard Knock Media Collective, Hard NOC Media. Um, and basically, uh, this is the media arm of the Nerds of Color, uh, which is basically a pretty cool collective for all things nerdy uh, through the perspectives of people of color. Um, and so they have a lot of great podcasts like Hard Knock Life, which is the flagship podcast for the nerds of color, uh, Southern Fried Asians, which is all about the experience of Asian Americans growing up in the U.S. South, uh, as well as uh, stuff like DC TV classics that looks at the history of uh, DC Comics foray into television. So uh, lots of cool stuff to check out there. Um, but. As always, for me, if you can give me, uh, if you can, you know, provide some feedback on the show, drop a like, drop a recommendation, leave a comment, help other people find the show, recommend it to your friends if you like the way that I talk about things and you think that they would like the way that I talk about things, um, definitely share it with some friends. Um, I really appreciate it. Always appreciate the love. But as always, I will talk to you again soon, fam. In the meantime, stay watching. Peace.